Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and have set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I the Lord will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore thus say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart, and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I the Lord will answer him myself, and I will set my face against that man, I will make him a sign and a byword, and cut him off from the midst of my people, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I the Lord have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him, and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear their punishment, the punishment of the prophet, and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike. That the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. Now, as you have already, already, hopefully have seen in our reading for tonight, there's some, there's some tough stuff we're going to have to deal with. Some stuff that's actually a little confusing if you've never really looked at this before. So let's, let's start to unpack this a little bit. It's certain verse 1. It says, Certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. Now I want you to understand, this is a different group of elders now of Israel, leaders in Israel, that are sitting before uh, Ezekiel than the ones back in chapter 8. Go back to chapter 8, verse 1. It says, In the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. And if you remember, while he was there with the elders of Judah sitting before him, he was told by God, here's what you're to be saying to them. I want you to share with them everything I tell you. Yet here in chapter 14, it says certain of the elders of Israel came to me, not Judah, but of Israel, the northern kingdom. And they sat before me and the word of the Lord came to me. And as you know, God then says to Ezekiel, these elders, this is a different group. They've come and asked you what I have to say, but I know their hearts. They still have their idols in their hearts. And they're coming to consult, you, consult me through you. And in summation, short version, God says, don't speak to them. I'll answer them myself. We'll get into all that in just a little bit. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? What I want to do tonight is just take you on a brief journey through the scriptures to remind you of something that we all hopefully already know, but it won't hurt us to be reminded. And here's what it is. You can't fool God. Go to Psalm 139. Go to Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. It 
says to the choir master, the Psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Can't get any more clear than that. David says, there isn't a thing about me that you don't already know. Even before a word's even on my tongue, before a thought even makes it to my mouth, you already know what I'm about to say. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, look at verses 23 through 25. It says, Now when he, meaning Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Here's a group of people that see the miracles he's doing, and they believed in him. And Jesus said, no, they don't. No, they don't. Go over to Luke chapter 20. Look at verses 19 through 26. Luke chapter 20, verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. We're going to deal with that parable next week in our study, next week. They perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something that he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but true, truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able to, in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Again, they pretended to be sincere, the scripture said, but their hearts weren't there. Folks, let me just say this to you, because we all need to be reminded of this truth, because we've all got that same problem. It's the same problem you can trace all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. What is the first thing they tried to do? Hide. How'd that work out? How do you hide from God who's spirit and he's everywhere at all times? Go to Psalm 66. It's a foolish thing to try to pretend to worship God when we're hanging on to sin in our hearts. I want you to get this Psalm 66 verse 18 memorized or, or at least put in your heart. The Lord will bring it to your mind when you need it. Psalm 66 verse 18. It says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had treasured sin in my heart, the Lord would not listen. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus describing the Jews, especially the Pharisees. In verse 8 of chapter 15, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, 
teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus says in verse 23 of Matthew 5, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. By the way, if you're going to worship, and all of a sudden you remember you got an issue between you and your brother that has to be reconciled, how did that even come to your mind? The Spirit of God brought it to your mind to convict you, to open your eyes and show you truth. But listen to what Jesus says. He said, if you're going to the worship and the Spirit of God convicts you of something, deal with it. Leave your gift, go make it right, then come back to church. And folks, I just want to say this to you. There were some elders that had come to Ezekiel to seek the Lord, and God knew their hearts, and He said, no. Should I let myself be consulted by them? I know what's really in their hearts. They're still treasuring their idols. Yeah, I might have taken them out of Egypt, or sorry, out of Israel and into Babylon. But their hearts are still for those idols. They haven't had their hearts changed. Now we're going to start getting into some real deep theology a little bit tonight. And I want to kind of help you out because in our flesh, we want to be the ones who determine whether or not people's hearts are right whether or not people's motives are pure. And that's been a real struggle for me as a pastor over the years, because I'm going to tell you straight up, people lie to pastors. <laughs> a lot. But we don't know who's telling the truth and who's not until later on. But God knows. But when I was younger, I used to try to determine whoever was coming to talk to me, whether they were telling the truth or whether they were lying. And guess what? I was wrong most of the time. It's the Lord's job to worry about that. You've got to be real careful, folks. The Bible's very clear about judging other people's motives. You don't know other people's hearts. You don't know why they're doing it. But if you're honest with yourself, you yourself have many a time thought, well, I know what they really mean. I know what they really intend. Don't go down that road. You don't know, but God does. And we're going to deal with that in just a little bit in our study tonight about how to deal with that. So God then tells Ezekiel that he will not speak to these people through the prophet, but that he will answer them himself. Isn't that interesting? You, you probably think to yourself, if you're that person, and the prophet says, hey, God's told me that he's not going to speak to you through me. He's going to speak to you himself. You probably think to yourself, that's kind of cool. No, it's not. Go back to chapter 14 of Ezekiel. Look at verses 4 through 8 again. Let me read it to you because I want you to see the words that God uses. And then I'm going to take you back to Leviticus chapter 20 where God uses those exact same words. Chapter 14, verses 4 through 8. It says, Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, yet comes to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. I'm going to answer him. That I may lay a hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn, your, turn away your faces from all your abominations. 
For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. Listen closely how God then puts it. And I will set my face against that man, and I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I'm the Lord. So when it says, I'm going to answer them myself, is God saying, don't worry, I'll talk to them? Or is God saying, don't worry, I'm going to deal with them in my actions? It's number two. Go to Leviticus chapter 20. Let me show you what I mean. Folks, this is why it's so important for us to know the whole of the Bible as we just spend our lives studying it and allowing God to sink into our hearts. Because you're going to find all the way through the scriptures, from Genesis all through Revelation, if you had known the prior books, if you had known what God had said earlier, and then you come to situations, one of the things that hurts us is we start, start reading just in the New Testament, and we don't have a fuller understanding of all the things that God has already done and the things that He has said. Because when Jesus came on the scene, and as He taught the truth, as He was teaching about the New Covenant even, He used Old Testament scriptures to teach the truth. The New Testament writers, as they would teach about the salvation that comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ, which is how it's always been through God's provision for man's sin, they would use the Old Testament scriptures to bring to light what they were teaching. But most people today just try to read the New Testament and just try to build their theology without understanding that as you read something, most likely it's already been said prior, and it would make so much more sense if you had known what it had said earlier. In Leviticus chapter 20, look at verses 1 through 8. I told you to turn there and I got preaching and I didn't do it. There it is, chapter 20. Look at verses 1 through 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself, here we see it, will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given up one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and don't put him to death, then I'll set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate, your, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So when God says, I'm going to set my face against that man, what's he saying? I'm going to cut him off. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to put him to death. I'm going to judge him for their sin. So when God says to Ezekiel, you tell them, these guys that have come to you to consult me, when I know their real heart is they really don't want to consult me. They've already decided what they're going to do. You tell them, I'm not going to speak to them through you. I'm going to speak to them myself directly. And I'm going to set my face against them. And I'm going to bring judgment. Boy, aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful for the fact that that wrath has already been turned away? Because of Jesus Christ, he has every right to do that same thing with us. But that wrath has been turned away because of Jesus. 
But I want you to see as we continue on our study tonight, that even though God will not put you to death and you lose your salvation because of sin that is still in your heart and treasured in your heart, you're hopefully going to see through our study tonight that that sin that we as Christians, as children of God, who are believers who are already sealed by the Spirit of God, when we as Christians still hold on to sin, God will not make us lose that salvation, but there's a couple things you're going to need to hear. One, it will affect our relationship with the Lord in the sense that there'll be a friction. The Bible calls it grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit. You don't lose the Spirit, but it does have an effect on your walk with the Lord. And on top of that, the Bible does teach, and we don't have time tonight to even get into this aspect of the teaching, but the Bible does teach that if there is persistent sin for a believer who is in Christ, they will not lose their salvation, but He will take you home early. There is such a thing as sin unto death. That's why in that passage, John writes and he says, if someone's committed a sin unto death, don't worry about praying that that guy will be spared, because if God's decided this is a sin unto death, he's going. But otherwise, pray for them if they've sinned, unless it's one of those sins unto death. God's going to set His face against these people in judgment. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Why does God use such harsh judgment? I mean, they came and asked of the Lord or through the prophet, what did God have to say? But He knew their hearts, and they still had treasured the idols. They had separated themselves from Him because the idols were more important. Why is God's response so harsh and so severe? Jealous is a part of it, and we're going to get to that in a second, Michael. That's a great answer. Go ahead. He gave it all. I mean, he, he gave it all. Okay. And, and that goes to the jealousy. Mm -hmm. he says, Be ye holy. Right. Right. They knew better. They made a decision. Uh, there's a big part of that as well. Go ahead, Rick. To get our attention. Stay focused on him. The, the, the getting your, our attention is very, very key. To help us to grow. Definitely also help us to go, and you're going to see that back in Ezekiel 14. All these answers are right, but I want to clarify it just a little bit more. One of, there's two reasons I'm going to pull out. There's more than two, but I'm going to pull out two from the passage tonight. The first one is this. Because God knows the seriousness and the danger of sin not dealt with. God knows the seriousness and the danger of sin not dealt with. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter 5, look at verses 1 through 12. Paul writing to the Christian church there in Corinth. He says, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. We don't know the specifics of it, but this much we know. There was someone in that church who was sleeping with his father's wife. Whether it was his mother, probably not. It might have been someone the, man had been, the, husband, the father had been married to before, but now was married to the son. Whatever it was, there was, this was going on. He has his father's wife, and he says, Paul says to the church, and you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I'm present in the spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He says, your boasting's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole 
lump. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. You, you couldn't even be here if that was what I was saying. But now I'm writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Folks, this is some serious writing to the church. But he said, there's sin going on there in your church, and you guys are acting like it's okay, and it's cool, and you're ignoring it. How much of that stuff is ignored today in our churches? And he says, look, don't you realize a little bit of sin will affect the whole body? You need to remove that person from among you so that his soul may be saved. But if he wants to run with Satan, if there's not repentance, if they don't realize what they're doing is wrong and they're not willing to acknowledge it, tell them they need to go somewhere else. Don't even eat with that person. Now, how should we respond, though, if, like the prodigal son, they come to their senses and say, I was wrong. What I did was sin. Welcome them. Eat with them. Have a party to welcome them back. But the, one of the reasons why God is dealing with this so severely is he's trying to get them to realize the seriousness of sin. Now, keep with me here, because this will help us understand a couple of things that God did at the beginning of the nation of Israel in the beginning of the church that has been kind of hard for some of us to grasp. But if you remember back at the beginning of the nation of Israel, as they were going into the promised land, and he had kept all those people that doubted his promise from being able to go into the promised land. And Joshua leads them, the children now in, the same children that the people had said, you just brought us out here so our children would die in the wilderness. God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give the blessing I was going to give to you, to your kids. They're going in. You're not going to see it. But when they go in, they were told by God in this first battle in Jericho, I wanted you to dedicate the whole city to the Lord. Everything is to be given to the Lord. No one keeps any spoil. Everything's to be given to God. Well, there was a man named Achan who found some gold, and he kept it, and he hid it in his tent. And God then, in the next battle against a little city called Ai, they didn't even need to send their army. They just sent a few because it was going to be that simple, and they got whooped. And Joshua falls down and says, God, what's going on? And God tells him, get up. The reason I didn't go with you is because there's sin in the camp. As they began the process of seeking the will of God and what God was saying, and they used the Urim and the Thummim, and they went through, and God showed them not only which tribe, but which family and which fam individual family. And it was found that Achan and his family had stolen it, and God knew. And what did God do to Achan and his whole family? They were put to death and stoned. They were stoned and put to death right in front of everybody. Oh, in the beginning of the church, in Acts chapter 5, we see that there's this couple. Now, at the end of chapter 4, we see Barnabas had sold a piece of his property. He had owned some land. He sold it, gave the money to the church. A couple, chapter 5, men named Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of property too. They kept some of the money, and then they gave the rest and pretended like they gave the whole amount to the church. God knew their hearts. 
man comes in and Peter says, is this the amount you got for the land? Yep. What happened to, what happened to him? God struck him dead right there. And the men carried him off. Three hours later, his wife comes in. Peter says, let me ask you a quick question. Um, the amount you gave to the church, is that the amount you got for the land? And she said, yep. What happened to her? <laughs> dead on the spot. And the same guys that just came back from carrying her husband and burying him took her out and did the same. Let me ask you an honest question. Anybody here ever told a lie since they've been saved? Aren't you glad that he hadn't struck you dead? Then why, though, did he strike Ananias and Sapphira dead? At the beginning of the time of Israel, in the beginning of the church age, he was pointing out the fact that sin is still serious. It is something to be dealt with seriously. And if you go on in chapter 5, you'll see that a great fear broke out among the people. And a bunch of people weren't even wanting to join them anymore because God was dealing with the church in such a way. So look back here at chapter 14 of Ezekiel. He says, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to set my face against that man. Verse 8, I'm going to set my face against that man and I'll make him a sign and a byword, and cut him off from the midst of my people, and you'll know that I'm the Lord. Why does God deal with it so harshly? Because he's going to use them as an example about the seriousness of sin. There's another reason, though. Actually, before we go any further, I want to show you a couple other passages in Scripture that kind of illustrate this point a little bit further. Go quickly to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 7 through 9. Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This person is not from him who calls you. And there he says it again. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What had happened in the church here in Galatia that Paul was dealing with? People in the church had crept in and started saying... You, it isn't just faith in Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus and keep certain rules. And you need to be circumcised. Paul actually gets so upset about this issue, he said, I wish they'd cut everything off. He does. But he says, look, who's come in there and led you astray? Even this false teaching, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, look at verses 18 through 23. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and your faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'm going to throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. You see it? Why does he deal with the sin so harshly? One, because he knows the seriousness of sin. And if it's not dealt with, it'll affect his whole church. And there's a second reason, though. 
because God's ultimate purpose is repentance. But I'm going to say something to you that you might know, but you might not have ever thought about it. Real repentance, unfortunately, doesn't usually happen without a serious wake-up call. I've been preaching for over 30 years, and I have seen times of great repentance in individuals' lives. I wish I could say it was because they heard the word of the Lord and were broken. It usually was after their sin was made manifest. And they were caught in what they had done. And other people knew. And then God dealt with their sin. And they might have lost their family. Then repentance came. Sometimes God uses these situations when He deals harshly with people because of sin to bring about repentance. That's His ultimate reason. Go again back to Ezekiel chapter 14. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says, There speak to them and say, Thus says the Lord God, If any of the house of Israel who takes his idol into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say this to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Why is God doing this? One, He's proving the seriousness of sin and making these people an example. And two, His real desire is that repentance would come to the people of Israel. Go with me again, back to James, and then we're going to go to Revelation. Go to James chapter 4, and this is what you were talking about, Michael. And that's why I was glad you brought it out, because listen to James chapter 4. Listen to verses 1 through 10. And again, written to the New Testament church. God through James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Our pastor this past Sunday at First Baptist Marin Island preached from the passage in Philippians where it says, watch out for these people whose God is their belly. And that word translated belly could be translated, should be translated passions. He says, the reason you war and you have fight is because your passions are at war within you. You desire and you don't have, so you murder and you covet and can't obtain so that you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. And then you do ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do you see what God is saying to the Christians, to the church? You don't realize it, guys. Thank God for our salvation. Thank God for the fact we're sealed for eternity. Thank God we're going to heaven because of his grace. But we still struggle in these bodies of flesh. Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. And he doesn't say, oh, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's going to be. I'm just human. That's the way it is. No. He says, who can save me from this? I don't like this. I hate this. Thanks be to God who gives us 
the victory. His heart was broken. I'm not saying you should never sin. I'm saying that you should not like it. You should not treasure it. And let me just say to you, listen closely to what I'm saying, because if you're going to hear anything, it's not because Jim said it, but the Spirit of God and the Word of God has been used to wake you up in these last days. There is sin in the church. Not my call to determine who's sinning here and who's not. Not my call to determine what's sin and what isn't. God's already made that clear in His Word, and His Spirit will convict you, and He'll speak to your heart. Oh, and by the way, stop thinking, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Listen to what God's saying to you. He will for his purposes of purification, get your attention. And he says to us, it wouldn't hurt to listen closely to what I'm trying to show you. Is there stuff going on in your personal walk that I know about but nobody else does? And you're putting on the face? Folks, I just found out this week about someone that I love and know in ministry who ended up in a situation that unfortunately it became public to the church and he lost his ministry. I'm grieved inside. My stomach hurts. I'm, it's not even been 48 hours of me finding this out and I'm just, I'm just hurting. I wish I could tell you that's the only time I've dealt with it. I've dealt with it a bunch, but this one is even more because it's someone I was close with. and I had no idea. I just say to you, God's desire is that you turn from it. He gives more grace. He'll give you more grace. But he gives grace to the humble. Not those who think, I don't need that. I'm, for the sake of time, I won't have you turn there, but make a note here. Many of Jesus' messages to the church in, churches in Revelation included repentance. If you were to look at his message to Ephesus in verse 5, he says, repent. This is a pretty good church. They're doing all the great stuff. He says to them, repent. Wake up. Realize the height from which you've fallen. He says to Pergamum in verse 16, repent. He says to Thyatira in verses 21 through 23, repent. Sardis, he says in verse 3 of chapter 3, repent. So I'm going to ask you a question then. Is there a need in the church for repentance today? Now I'm going to ask you again. Is there a need in the Christian church for repentance today? Good. Now I'm going to ask you another question. Is it our job to bring about that repentance? No. Whose job is it to bring about the repentance? It's God's and God's alone. See, this is where the church has made a mistake over the years. You ever heard of hellfire and brimstone preaching? We used to talk about, oh, they love hellfire and brimstone. You know what? There's nothing wrong with preaching about hell because the Bible talks about hell three times as much about heaven. But listen closely. What unfortunately happened with much of hellfire and brimstone preaching was the preacher then took it a step too far, and the preacher felt it was his job to convict the world of their sin. And the preacher would try many different tactics and methods to try to scare, shock, and accomplish only what the Spirit of God can do. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Verses 7 and 8. Jesus says in verse 7 of John 16, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit's job 
to bring people to repentance. It's not your job. Mamas, you got kids that are away from the Lord or maybe don't even know him. Stop trying to be the Holy Spirit. Stop trying to be the one who gets them to repent and pray for them and live out the truth. But pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work in their heart. Remember what we've already seen tonight. Sometimes the only way real repentance is going to come is when the person actually hits the bottom. And some of you parents and grandparents have been keeping your child or grandchild from actually coming to repentance because you won't let them hit the bottom. You keep rescuing them. But if God's purpose of bringing the judgment and he himself setting his face against them is to bring about repentance, why are you trying to keep that from happening? Well, I don't want them to suffer. Hell's real. That's called suffering. And if you keep them from actually coming to a repentance that they might need for salvation, you've actually spared them nothing, but increased their suffering. So folks, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. So what I learned over the years as a pastor, I stopped trying to determine if people were telling me the truth or lying to me. Because at first, it used to bother me. Well, they said this, and then they acted this way. Or they said this. I remember one time walking down the halls before Sunday school, and when I was up in Chicago, and there was a family in that church who didn't like me. I wish I could say there's only one. But the mom and daughter taught Sunday school together, and they were there early that Sunday, and they didn't know I was in the church. And as I was walking through the halls, I overheard them talking about me, and they weren't singing my praises. So I listened just long enough, and then I quickly just walked into the room, acted like I had just walked up and said, hey, ladies, how are you? Pastor, we were just talking about you. I said, really, was it good? They said, yes, sir, it was wonderful. It's like, that's wonderful, great. And I, I used to try to figure out who was telling the truth, who was You know what I've learned over the years? You tell me something, and you lie to me, I'm going to hold you to it. Because if you say something, I'm going to act like it's true. Because it's God's job to deal with whether or not you told me the truth. Yeah, but if you, if you heard that, mm -hmm. and they said that, oh, we're talking good, why would you not let them know that? I mean, that's Because there are times that the Spirit of God tells you to speak, and there are times the Spirit of God tells you not to. And that was one of those times God said, let it go, I'll deal with it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right. Right, but still, right. Agreed, but at the same time, there are times, that, let me, look, and you brought up a really good point. This is a really, Bill's point is a really good one, but I'm going to ask you a question. We see in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, that Judas had been stealing from the treasury. We don't see Jesus ever deal with it. Did Jesus know? Actually, the Bible even says that on the last night, as they were in the upper room, he said to him, go do what you're going to do. The rest of them all thought he was going to deal with something with the money. Judas still had the money back. Did Jesus ever deal with Judas about the money? We don't see it. Actually, we do. There's two places I could show you he does. But he does it when he's preaching to the masses. He says, watch out for the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. When he talks about the, the seed. And then he says, don't store up, up for yourself treasure on earth at moth and rust. He was preaching to the masses, but I promise you the Spirit of God was speaking to Judas at the same time. But we don't see Jesus ever confront him. So there are going to be times that the Spirit of God is going to, and in that instance, trust me, my flesh wanted to say, you both lie. <laughs> but in that instance, God said, oh, by the way, you know what's really cool in that story? This same family that had, had private meetings that I knew in their living room, 
to get people together to run me out of that church have since become some of our closest friends. And they've been in our house down here in Florida to visit twice. God did a work in those people's lives. But I had to leave it to the Lord. But it was a great, it was a very good question. We have, sometimes the Lord will say, exactly. But it was also a year later. David had gone, he'd been a year in that sin with Bathsheba before God dealt with him through Nathan. We need to know when the Spirit of God sometimes will tell us to speak. And there can be other times the Spirit of God tells us not to. Wives, listen to that one. Husbands, listen to that one. There'll be times the Spirit of God will tell you to speak. There'll be other times he'll tell you not to. Yes. You know, go. Let's have a discussion. Mm -hmm. Let's 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 air. Let's begin the process of dealing with it. And so many times that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. They don't come to you directly. They go behind your back. They go to the preacher. Make the preacher get involved or do something. And 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 the preacher willingly does that. I used to, to, not anymore. As opposed to, this is what scripture says. Right. Actually. If you remember where we read in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul said, even though I'm not with you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and here's my judgment, he actually was quoting from Matthew 18. By the way, has anybody ever heard the preacher say where two or three are gathered, I'm there amongst them? Has anybody ever heard the preacher say, well, there's more than two or three, so that means the Lord's here. Ever heard that? Everything in me wants to stand up in that church and say, so if I was here by myself, the Lord wouldn't be here? Actually, that passage in Matthew 18 is not talking about where two or three are gathered, the Lord's here. It's dealing with conflict in the church, and you got a problem with your brother, you go see your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, you bring somebody else with you, and you confront him. And if he doesn't, then you bring him before the church. And when two or three together, the Lord says, I'm there with you to deal, you have my authority to deal with that conflict. When Paul said, even though I'm not with you in body, but I'm present with you in spirit, he was just saying the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered, I'm there too. The authority that I've been given as an apostle, let me just tell you, if you're waiting for my vote, I'm Skyping it in right now. Get that guy out. Deal with the sin. But we're more worried about losing church members than deal with sin. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 real quick. i got so much more I want to cover. I think we might be able to do it. You might have to listen a little quicker. And those ladies that became your friends, did they bring up that subject relative to you? Uh, Not that specific day, but the fact that their attitude toward me was different. Yes, they acknowledged it. It became known. And they even, hey, I'll be honest with you, I've had, even when I was pastor at this church, people that voted against me stand up in a Sunday school class one time and say, so a year ago I voted against Jim Johnson. Today I'm changing my vote. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Again, I never confronted that person. The Lord did his work. Did the ones that voted for you get up and do the same thing? You know what? I, <laughs> yeah. I, I would answer that question, Jeff, but we're running out of time. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 1 and 2. God says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Whose job is it to judge? Jesus's. And by his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word, folks. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
we got to just share what the Word of God says and leave it at that. Remember how I told you Jesus didn't deal with Judas directly? He dealt with him because he preached. Don't store up treasure in heaven. I'm sorry, don't store up treasure on the earth where moth and rust can come in and take care of it. Store up treasure in heaven. Watch out for the seed that falls on the thorny soil and springs up and sure looks like it's saved. But then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it. The Spirit of God was preaching to Judas the whole time. Jesus continued to reach out to him. But the word, through the, he let the Word of God do its work. Remember how in Luke 16, uh, the, the rich man calls out from Hades and says, Hey, tell Lazarus to go back and warn my brothers. And God says, They've got the Word. They got Moses. Yeah, but if someone... Came back from the dead, they'd believe. He said, if they don't believe through the word of God, even if someone come, rises from the dead, they won't believe. And by the way, was he true or what? Someone did rise from the dead and they still didn't believe. We need to keep in mind, though, that there are going to be many who don't want to hear the truth. Listen to me. Do not stay there and try to hammer home the truth in order to make it stick. When you feel like if I say it 17 more times, then they'll get it. You have actually insulted the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active and sharp, and it's able to do its work. I wrote in my notes, the Word is powerful. You don't need to swing it harder. God's got it. I'm going to say it to you again. The Word is powerful. You don't need to swing it harder. Jesus even said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Share it. If it's rejected, what did he tell us to do? Move on. But we want so bad for them to get it. Or we think we know best. And we don't know. Oh, for the sake of time, go look later on at Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Truth is available, though, for all who wish to find it. Ask in the door. Sorry, ask and you will receive. Knock and it will be open. Seek, you will find. Truth is there for people that want to hear it. But we have to have a humble attitude about shaking the dust, Jim. Too many people have a holier than thou. Exactly. Yep. And again, we have to leave that to the Lord too. I've done it wrong. We've all done it wrong a time or two, but the Lord will work that all out. Now, let's, in the time we have left here tonight, we won't be able to finish chapter 14, but it's okay. God knows. Verses 9 and following, though, is we're going to finish the rest of this section tonight in the time that we have left because I really want to deal with and not rush too much Verses 9 and following, it says, If the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment, their punishment, the punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike, that the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord. Now listen, remember how God had said, if these people are coming to me, these certain elders are coming to me, and they're inquiring of me, but I know their heart. They're still treasuring their idol. They really don't want to know what I have to say. Well, they're curious what I have to say. This, there's a difference between being curious what God has to say and really wanting to know what God has to say because we're going to do it. He said, don't speak to them. But if a prophet does speak to them, that prophet is deceived. And I'm the one who deceived the prophet. And then I'm going to judge the prophet and the inquirer alike, and they'll both be judged with destruction. Well, how do we deal with the fact that James chapter 1, verse 13 says that God doesn't tempt anyone to sin, yet here God says, I'm the one who deceived them. Anybody want to answer that one? My mic's right here. 
Actually, the answer, the, the answer goes back to James. Go back to James chapter 4, I think it is. No, chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read to you verse 13. And the answer goes on, and it get, our answer comes from the rest of chapter 1, verse 13 and following. Verse 13 of James 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If a prophet ignores the fact that God had not spoken and speaks anyway, God did not make him do it, but God allowed the wickedness of the prophet's heart to take its full course. Let me ask you a question. Has God, I've already asked you this question, I'm going to ask you again. Has God's Spirit ever convicted you of something before you did it? Hopefully, you've heard that a lot. Hopefully, if you're walking with the Lord, you don't, you don't just know the conviction of the Spirit after you sin, but hopefully you recognize it prior to, because actually, He speaks way more prior to. So does the Holy Spirit ever say to you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this? Of course. But there are times when God knows your heart and that you're going to do it anyway, and so He sometimes just says, go ahead. That person's sin didn't happen because God made him sin. God allowed what was already in his heart to take its full course. What does it say in Romans chapter uh, 1? He gave them over to their shameful lusts. Go to Ezekiel chapter 20, especially verses 25 and 26. We're going to look at verses 18 through 32, but especially verses 25 through 26. Ezekiel chapter 20. Look at verses 18 through, 20, through 32. And I said to their children in the wilderness, God speaking, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy that you may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life, and I defiled them through their very gifts and their offering up all their firstborn, then I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, In this also your fathers blasphemed me by dealing treacherously with me. For when I had brought them into the land that I swore to give them, then wherever they saw any high hill or any leafy tree, there they offered their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. 
There they sent up their pleasing aromas, and there they poured out their drink offerings. And I said to them, What is this high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their detestable things? When you present your gifts and you offer up your children in fire and defile yourselves with all your idols to this day, and shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like that nation, the tribe of the countries, and worship who worship wooden stones. So God, as he's dealing with the fact that the, the people of Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, they had been worshiping idols in Egypt. That's why they quickly said, make us a golden calf when they didn't know where Moses was. They had been worshiping idols in the land of Egypt. He brought them out and says, no, I'm to be the only one worshiped. But then they quickly, he said to the people in the wilderness, don't do what your fathers did in Egypt. But they did it anyway. And so then he says, so I gave them rules that they couldn't live by, statutes that wouldn't give them life. In other words, you want to go down that road? I'm not going to try to stop you anymore. I'm going to let you do it. You want it? I'm giving it to you. Listen to me. There is such a thing the Bible describes as a hard heart. A hard heart is one that has learned over time to tune out the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us in conviction. If you get good enough at it, God stops speaking. And so he says, you want it? I'll give it to you. You want to act like a, a deceived person, prophet? I'm going to deceive you. I'm going to let you have it. You want to worship these other gods? I tried to tell you. I kept offering. I kept telling you. I kept telling you. I'm now going to give you everything you want. So did he do it? Or did he make them do it? Or did he allow them to do it? Listen closely, there's some message in there, though, for us. That also means that God is the one who is continually seeking to make the right response in our hearts. That's why in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says, May the love of God, may, may God Himself direct your hearts to the love of God. May God be the one, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, it's God who works in you both to desire and to act according to his good purpose. What we need to do as a people who seek repentance is not go down the aisle and say, Lord, I won't do that anymore. Anybody tried that? How'd that work? Repentance says, God, I'm going to keep doing this unless you take over. I surrender. How'd you get saved? You said, I can't save myself. Jesus, you lived the sinless life. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the dead. My life is yours. Give me eternal life. I'm not going to do anything to get saved except just say thank you for my salvation. Your sanctification happens the same way. But you've heard the preacher say, you need to repent and you need to start acting right and you need to change your actions. Wrong message. Repentance is... God, you're right. I confess. I agree with you. This is wrong. And apart from you, I can do nothing. Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. Who can save me? It's God who gives us the victory. So, folks, I want to challenge you between now and we come back next week to study a little bit more. Ask God to show you. As David said, 
At the end of that psalm, remember at the beginning we read today, in Psalm 139, you know every thought before it even makes my tongue? At the end of that same chapter, he said, search me. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Show if there's anything in me that needs to be changed. And lead me. You make the change in me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And so, folks, I pray that there's a lot of repentance going on, including Jim Johnson. But don't worry about anybody else. Don't even worry about Jim Johnson. Listen to the Spirit of God, but go to him and say, Lord, you do it. And I believe you will. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.